five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, and I'm here with Dan. Dan, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. So this is our second Winning War Cry episode, and uh, after the getting started one, I think we're going to dive into some factions and talk a little bit more about the new Toma Champions. Yeah, it sounds good. And for anybody wondering, our uh, wonderful third host, Jason, was laid low by Nurgle this week. Uh, he will be. <laughs> he will hopefully be back next month. The the uh, the father grandfather Nurgle uh, came visiting. So, you know, they say that uh, when you get cursed by grandfather Nurgle, that you feel blessed by him. I don't think yeah. Jason feels so blessed. <laughs> well, you don't know it at the time, right? It's it's That's only right. after that you realize the blessings <laughs> upon you. That's I, right. That's right. <laughs> I do love in the lore, uh, like when AOS two was happening and everyone was fighting Nagash, uh-huh. Nurgle would just like walk up and be like, "Hey, fellow good guys, I'm I'm here with you. I'm I'm a life god." <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> It's not just death here. It's about yeah. regrowth. It's the circle right. of life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff. Um, yeah. So before we get started, how was what, what what do you got on your workbench? What have you been working on? All right. So I've got a uh, you know, a little thing called a Depticon coming up soon. So I'm realizing I have a few more things to do. So I have to base, um. Either my Sylvaneth or my Iron Jaws. I still haven't decided what I'm going to do for the narrative event. But either way, they're all painted, but I never fully based them. So I need to base those. And then um, I need to paint a Storm Fiend. Just all the way up from the ground up. It's currently gray. Okay, so... So what... So it sounds like you're competing... Or you're doing a couple events, right? A narrative and a competitive? Yep. What do you yep. bring into both of them? Uh, you talked about kind of Iron Jaws and Sylvaneth, but what, what, let's start with the competitive. What are you taking there? Yeah, so for the competitive, um, I'm going to bring two forces. and So I'm on the Sunday uh, mm-hmm. competitive game or uh, tournament. And so I've been playing Skaven a little bit, testing them out. Because um, I had big plans before the Toma Champions came out. I found the nerfs to Skaven have really brought them back down to earth, but they're still good. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, so I found, because basically in my list, I've lost an entire Plague Monk. Um, oh, interesting. Which, you know, an entire unit, an entire fighter, especially because Plague Monks are pretty solid. Right. Um, you know, an entire fighter is a pretty big blow to take. So yeah. 
Skaven is a lot easier to deal with than it was before, but it's still one of the better factions out there. Um, so I think it's going to depend on what the terrain looks like. Okay. Um, I found... Like, if it's red harvest terrain with lots of stuff everywhere and lava pits everywhere, uh-huh. flying is so important that I wouldn't want to bring a warband that can't fly, so I would just bring my Flesh Eater Quartz. Nice. Okay. Um, just to have those two flyers. Yeah. But if the tables aren't super crowded with lots of red harvest terrain, if they're not full of lava pits, uh, then I'll probably try out this Skaven. So, uh, are you, this is the competitive, and you're not required to turn in lists before the tournament starts? So far, the tournament pack has, yeah, has been pretty, I mean, who knows, right? Maybe we get the tournament pack tomorrow, and it says you have to turn them in a week ahead of time. But right. so far, yeah, so far there's been no no mention. So as long as, as long as that's the case, I'm going to play by that rule, right? And, and yeah. bring two warbands and... Uh, take the one that fits the terrain better um and if they make me choose then i'll have to do some thinking yeah i think it's kind of interesting um because like if you go to an age of sigmar game obviously like you're turning that list in a week if not two weeks in advance and um you know that way they can check it over and make sure that it's legal and all that stuff i guess with Warcry, it's a little bit easier you can bring your paper that says here's what my warband is you know um so right it's a lot simpler all they'd have to really do is just make sure that the points line up with whatever's in the toc instead of what you know was previous but other than that i think it's pretty easy so i think that might be why or it might like i said before maybe the tournament pack comes out tomorrow and and it says send in your list by such and such date who knows right um the narrative one for example they're asking you to send their lists ahead of time but that's kind of hilarious yeah <laughs> that's like opposite of what i would think right yeah absolutely <laughs> i i'm excited for this because i think that this is probably the first big war cry event ever in the united states yeah um because i don't think they had war cry at lvo this last uh you know a tournament at lvo this last go around and they really didn't have any big ones before um the pandemic like we're supposed to have a big one at uh at the nova open in 2020 but that got canceled yeah so so we're gonna have it at a few different cons this year right because you're gonna have it at nova as well um Mm -hmm. the uh warcry discord some folks on there applied to have it separate from gw at uh gen con um, oh, nice. Okay. Because GW's Gen Con presence is very, very small. So yeah, any they kind really of... don't like going there, do they? <laughs> right. They only. <laughs> it's it's really funny. They only show their Barnes and Noble exclusives at Gen Con. It's really funny. <laughs> um, I don't know why they've made that choice from a marketing standpoint. So anyway, any uh, game that you have to, any GW game you want to play at Gen Con, you've got to apply separately. GW won't organize it for you. You would so think, you would think that they would, so. like, even if it's, like, a, a problem of, like, okay, well, we don't want to step on board games' toes, you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. come with Curse City, then, or, like, Blackstone Fortress, or, you know what I mean? Like, one of their other, like, you know, uh, board, like, actual board games that they produce. That's something. That's the thought know? for me, too, and that's my hope for 
maybe Warcry having some success there because the skirmish games like Warcry and Kill Team, they fit in a board game space, right? They're so much closer to a board game than yeah. a full tabletop game would be. So, you know, hopefully that's a fit. Hopefully Gen Con approves the application and hopefully we get a tournament there. That would be really cool. Yeah, I um, I ended up uh, playing Space Hulk there. Like, there's this group that comes down and they set up these massive Space Hulk tables with, like, some some of them were 3D printed, some of them were, like, laser-cut boards, you know, um, of these, like, ship layouts, and you would play Space Hulk, and it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Um, I've never played that game. It's, uh, it's interesting. Like, it is... Uh, how do you explain it? Like, it's a survival game, you know, where you try got to try to get out, but it's kind of a like a puzzle game in a sense too, where like you have to move your guys just right and position them well to be able to fend off the the Tyranids or like the little aliens that are coming, you know, and get your guys out into a certain corridor, you know, and so. Sure. Um, it's a lot of fun. Like, obviously, it's Space Marines and Tyranids, but it definitely has, like, an Aliens feel, <laughs> like the movie. You know what I mean? Because yeah. these Tyranids are, like, the Xeno... Yeah, they're, like, the Xenomorphs coming at you, and you're, like, Space Marines, right? So, yeah, um, it's a... It, it, Space Hulk was a lot of fun. Um, the downside was is they didn't have a lot of people to really teach you the game, so Jason and I had to kind of, like, figure it out on our own, which we... Which we like figured out by the end, but we probably spent half of our half of our time, you know, trying to figure out exactly how to play it. So. Well, that's that's perfect. That's perfect for Gen Con because that's the classic board game experience, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, pretty good. Well, I'm excited for your tournament, man. Like, yeah, uh, me too. And uh, you said you you were working on a Sylvaneth uh, army. Or Warband, uh, you haven't painted already, you just needed to do the bases, right? Yeah, I painted it uh, almost a year ago, actually. Um, oh, cool. But I just never based it, so, yeah. Just Was this from the Warcry box and... that you got? No, it was a start collecting plus okay. some other stuff too. Uh, I just really like Sylvaneth, just as an aesthetic. I would yeah. never get enough of them for AOS purposes, just because they've been at least as long as I've been painting miniatures, Sylvaneth have been an unplayable meme in AOS. <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, but they are, you know, they're very workable in, in Warcry, so I've enjoyed them several times, and I'm hoping to enjoy them this uh, next weekend. Yeah. Yeah, what is it, the Spite Revenant that can, like, pop around the board? Yeah, right, well, the Tree Revenant can teleport around the board. Well, the Spite Revenant is has got a net ability, you know, like netters oh, do right. yep. or yep. yep. And that one's really good. I'm actually not bringing any spite revenants because it's a narrative event and nets are so nets are both good and the kind of thing where I would worry that a certain type of narrative player would would not enjoy that experience of yeah, having yeah, yeah. nets all yeah. over them. So yeah, I'm I not ended up them. getting the um second half of the what was it, the Loon Curse box? So it had like oh, the yeah. spike gets on one half, and I I ended up um, with half of like the Sylvaneth half, which was a great half of a box for a warband, you know, because you got the three um, 
Kronoth Hunters, and then I yep. got a whole bunch of um, uh, uh, I got a whole bunch of Spite Revenants that you could turn into either do Tree Revenants or Spite Revenants. So I did fifty fifty, right? And then you also got the um, Arch Revenant there in the box as well. So it it's yeah, a, that's that a was a great combo. that was a great uh, pickup, especially since it like it ended up costing me like ninety dollars for that half. And I think that the Warcry box itself was going for like eighty four on Amazon. Oh right, and that half is just the Warcry box plus an Arch Revenant. Yep, exactly. That's so I ended great. up with like an Arch Revenant for like six dollars. Nice. Something like that. So it was it was good. It was worth it, definitely. So I'm staring at them right now. They are gray on my shelf looking at me like Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So, so uh we know for your hobby table this week, uh, we know what you haven't been doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I am so close to having my Red Harvest terrain all done. Like, I need to pick out just a couple of more details on some of the bobsled, you know, pieces, the sluices, and then um, finish up kind of the um, wooden barricades. You know, which is kind of just, uh, I'm going to paint those real quick with a, with an airbrush and then do a dry brush on that and call it a day on those. So, like, this week for sure, I'm going to have the Red Harvest terrain completely done. It's looking really good. I'm really happy with them. But, boy, am I ready to be done with it, you know. Um, yeah, I bet. All, all that banded metal in, like, I, I decided to paint it like a brass color, you know, a bronze. Uh-huh. And oh my gosh, just it's just way more than you think. You think, oh, this isn't going to be that bad, but it's like, it, somebody it's was everywhere. like, dude, it, they're like, dude, this is like this terrain is the chaos space marines of terrain. You know what I mean? Where you've got all that brocaded metal like that's on there and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh man, like this is just uh, this was a lot. You ready for a lot some more irresponsible rumor mongering? Uh, what? Yeah, Irresponsible yes, rumor mongering, yes. So Chaos Dwarfs, we keep uh -huh. hearing rumors about them. Yeah. My official prediction for Chaos Dwarfs is that they are going to be agony to paint. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yep. If absolutely. This, if this terrain is any indication of what the Chaos Dwarf aesthetic is going to be when they come out, ooh, they are going to be rough to paint. Uh, I'll probably you... still just get like one box plus one hero to make a Warcry uh -huh. Warband, but yeah. yeah, ooh, I'm I'm anticipating some pain. So I was gonna ask, do you think that um, they might bring Chaos Dwarves out as like an Underworlds model before, um, and maybe Warcry before they bring it to full AOS? I mean, it would fit so well, right? Like, I don't yeah. want to make any predictions about Warcry 2.0 right now with no rumors about it but the rumors right. that it's coming this summer late this summer are so strong that and and chaos dwarves would be a perfect fit right because i yeah. don't know that i feel like i don't know that a warcry box set without a chaos warband would feel like warcry to me uh but in my opinion yeah. it feels more like i liked the catacombs was chaos versus order and i would love to see like chaos versus destruction or chaos versus yep. Yep. you know the same way that aos it's age of sigmar it's always order versus someone else in the big intro boxes right yeah, yeah. um 
I feel like Warcry should always be chaos versus someone else. I felt like that kind of dynamic in Catacombs was great. And so I would love to see it be Chaos Dwarves versus... And then they give us a Knight Shadowstalkers, but um, but for a different group, right? Like Iron Jaws version of Knight Shadowstalkers oh, or, yeah, or OCR cool. Bone Reapers version of Knight Shadowstalkers. That yep. would be my like wish list for, for what we could see for that. Who knows what we'll really get. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, none of us were expecting the Dark Oath Savagers like in the... Um in the new box in the red harvest box right right um that kind of came out of nowhere which is cool i think they're awesome like i love the models right like everybody loves the conan aesthetic of it uh and nobody was just really expecting that so i could totally see them um come out with like you said the canaanite shadow stalkers version of something else right because you don't see those shadow stalkers in the in the uh regular armies of you know, um, the, you know, Marathi's army, the, the daughters of Cain. So. Yeah, you did with the, with, uh, in 2.0, you saw him a little bit, uh, but it seems like in 3.0, you don't really see him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, most of that is because the bow snakes are just so, so good and yeah, <laughs> it just like my right of that course. nobody else takes them. So we'll see what happens with the new book though. That'll be kind of interesting. Um, you know, actually, what might be interesting is a an Idenith Deepkin kind of flair, right? Which is um, you've got uh, you know maybe take some of those like Nomardi Reavers or the Thralls or something like that and turn them into kind of a specialized unit. Yeah, that absolutely. Might be interesting. And they fit with where Underworlds is. Mm-hmm. Um, if Warcry was going to leave the Chaos area, uh going to where underworlds is could be kind of a cool direction and yeah obviously Ideneth would because it's i think it's harrow deep right it's yep. some sort of crazy dungeon under the ocean uh Ideneth yep. would obviously fit there perfectly i'm just trying to figure out how the uh you know the the cruel boys found their way down to the bottom of the ocean but you know <laughs> these are like pirate cruel boys interesting yeah it doesn't have to you make know? sense i guess <laughs> <laughs> so anyway Awesome. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that's basically what I've been doing is, um, getting this terrain done. I'm, like I said, I'm very happy where it's at, so I can't wait to put it on the red harvest board and, and get at it. Um, but I have, uh, that the dominion half of the stormcast eternals that are staring at me. I've got the Sylvaneth staring at me right now. I've got cypher Lord staring at me. I've got the, uh, um, Vanguard, Stormcast Eternal staring at me as well. Like, they're all just on my shelf staring at me. And I'm like, I'm, you know you get to a point where, like, you're painting something, and it's like that meme with the dude walking with his girl, and he's turning, looking at the other girl yep. walking the other way, you know? Absolutely. And, and I'm just, like, picking out little, like, rivets with, you know, the silver on, on this uh, terrain, and I'm just thinking, like, hmm, I wonder what color scheme you'd like to be. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, but that's kind of where I'm at. I can't wait to, you know, kind of dive in. Although I was looking at the, um, uh, I've got the, uh, it's not the Formoid Crusher. It's, what's the other one? The Minotaur looking guy. The Myrmidon? The Ogroid yeah. Myrmidon? Yeah. yeah. Ogroid Myrmidon. I've got him ready to be painted and he's kind of screaming at me to be, be painted because I've always wanted to get him on the table. So. Yeah. 
he'd be a lot of fun. I, I think he'd be a lot of great, uh, a lot of fun to throw in with the, um, uh, with the, uh, Oh, great thaumaturge. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get yeah. him in there with like a Zane Charmer. You got like a double, double duty, like, you know, Minotaur thing. I want to see an Ogroid, uh, unit. So like maybe they'd be oh, a little dude, bit smaller amazing. than the Thaumaturge and the Myrmidon because those are yeah. the heroes. Yep. And then you get to have a Warcry Warband that's just your Myrmidon, your Thaumaturge, and then, you know, three regular Ogroids and, and that's your that's your unit. Would they fall under Zeech? Or I would mean, they fall under? They'd have to under current rules, right? Because yeah. The Thaumaturge is a hero, but then the Myrmidon doesn't have a faction, so it would right. have to be an ally. So I think the only way to make it work would be if they were Zinch, but they don't feel very Zinchy, right? Unless they seem more Beast of chaos -y. Yeah, yeah, they do. Which, Beast of, you know, uh, we can talk about Beast of Chaos. That, that's probably another area that we'll have to talk about, because um, they're not terrible in, um, in Age of Sigmar, you know? But nobody plays Beast of Chaos normally, so you don't see them a lot. Well, it takes you know. so much painting. It does. <laughs> it does. And some of the really good units, like, you have to shill out quite a bit of money to get them. You know, it's not a cheap acquisition for the basic Yeah, chaos. it's funny. Per piece of plastic, it's actually a great, great deal. As far as, like, teaching someone or making a Warcry Warband, right? Yeah. Uh, you can make a Warcry Warband really cheap with them in terms of dollar per model. But right. uh, dollar per point in AOS, it's... Oof, that's yeah. rough. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we wanted to take uh, this opportunity, and I think every segment um, for our audience out there that's listening, we want to kind of do a bit of a deep dive into the different factions, and we'll probably jump around the different um, Grand Alliances. This week we wanted to do Ogres. Uh, ogres are pretty competitive, uh, the Ogre Ma Tribes. And uh, they're pretty competitive in Warcry. Uh, I think that they are definitely more competitive in Warcry than maybe Age of Sigmar. But I think Age of Sigmar, they have their place there too. Uh, so we wanted to kind of look into what these factions can do, what they're good at, and just kind of give you guys an idea of, like, if you had them, like, how would, how would you play it? So... Yeah, let's kick it off. Let's let's talk about some of their units first, right? I think that, yeah, absolutely. that that's a good place to start, like base wise. So I'm yeah, pulling out my start... Harbinger of Destruction book right now. Let's start with their leaders. Also, you've played against ogres a whole bunch oh, of so times, times, so I'm gonna so have some times. questions for you yeah. after after we get through these. Um, maybe I don't know if you want to go through every single leader. They've got a huge roster, so we'll be here, you know, all day if we try to cover every unit. But uh, let's starting with the leaders. They've just got kind of a slew of really huge, scary, um, just absolute monsters right. that are kind of functionally unkillable in in most games. I mean, unless you have something else in your warband that is just as big, or if you've got to, let's say it's a hunter mission or bloodmarked and you've really <laughs> got to throw yeah. every single thing in your entire warband into them um that's sort of one of their sort of calling cards is that their leader tends to be just absolutely massive so yeah i'm looking at it there's eight leaders here right the yep. average wounds is 40 right 40 wounds uh, actually yep. that's like the minimum there's 
uh, six of them that have 40 wounds and sorry, five of them that have 40 wounds, three of if them that have, have 42, 42, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's the butcher, the icebrow hunter, and the um, the skog that have forty two wounds. And uh, in terms of defense, the tyrant and the gut lord have a strength of um, or sorry, a toughness of five, right? Yep. So that already puts them on kind of like a, you know harder to hit because the average is what like three and a half. Like a lot of have three, a lot have four in this game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so so I think, five is a, is a little tough. You're usually getting fives and sixes to have to hit them. Yeah, and they do pay for all of that durability, yes, right? I mean, that Tyrant is uh, 335, I think. Yep. Uh, the Gut Lord took a 15-point hike. It's up to 330 now, I think. Yep. Um, I can check on that in the TOC in a second. But yeah, and then the, the Crusher is another one. These melee, the, the giant melee ones... Um, all kind of took small points hits, probably because I think for casual play, you know, you can build competitive warbands that are sort of built to survive in hunter missions like Bloodmarked that can take these down. But right. um, I don't know how, like if you just kind of roll out of bed and put a Warcry warband together and you don't put a lot of thought into it, I don't know how you, you take one of these down with, with a casual <laughs> With a just casual like, list. I totally with a agree. casual, yeah, I don't know how you do it. And and like most warbands, you know, we're talking about a Crusher and a Gutlord, and some people are like, dude, I've never even heard of those models. Well, the Crusher, oh, yep. you know, the Crusher is the leader of the kind of the quote-unquote sergeant of the uh, Gluttons. And the Gut Lord is the leader, quote unquote, sergeant of the um, Iron Guts, and um, the Fire Belly is the leader of the um, Lead Belchers. Oh no! Or uh, no, the Thunder Fist is the leader yeah, of the Lead Belchers. That's right. And the Fire Belly is the leader of the Fire Bellies. I think. I yes, think he's exactly. all alone. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. That's right. Yeah. So, I'm glad you reminded me of that. You're gonna have to do this a lot on the podcast because <laughs> that's okay. I'm Warcry first. Uh, yeah. AOS. You know, probably a distant third after Warcry One, Magic Two, <laughs> so AOS Three. So I will often forget if certain names are are not in AOS. So yeah, yeah and I'm so glad. that's I mean that's kind of the funny thing is like you look at these and you're like, How? like I don't remember seeing any of these guys before, right? Um, I think the unique ones that like are like definitely fit and translate from Age of Sigmar, obviously the Tyrant and the Butcher. And the Icebrow Hunter, right? Um, yep. Those are the ones that uh, are unique. So the other ones are just kind of leaders of the, uh, you know, regular infantry units. So yep. they got, usually that means that they're a little bit uh, stronger um, and they got a little bit more, a little bit more wounds. Yeah. And in some so. cases, like the uh, the Crusher, the Glutton mm -hmm. leader, and the Gut Lord, they do significantly more damage. Like a Gutlord, I think, does almost double the damage. Not quite double, but it does a lot more damage oh, wow, than, a, yes. than an Iron Gut. Yeah. So um, he's 5 and 10, right? Five normal, uh, 5 normal damage, 10 critical, and an Iron Gut is 4 and 8. So it's, it's, it's right. plus 2. But he's got... It's... Sorry, I meant like per, per activation. Because oh, uh, yeah. I think he's also yeah. got an extra attack. He does um, have an extra attack. Yeah, so he's got both one more attack and a little bit more damage per hit yep. than so the total than damage will does. be about average a double. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 
So beefy, uh, you know, and like so, an iron gut's two hundred and thirty-five points, right? Which means the gut lord's three fifteen. So that's an 80, 80 points difference, yeah. right there. Yeah, and the gut lord went up to three thirty. Um, okay. Still oh, pretty right. decent, though. I think you know if you if you have iron guts, I think you know you're obviously sad about the gut lord change, but I don't think I don't think it ruins it at all. Um, right. gu- Let's see. Iron Guts, though, yeah, they went up to 240, uh-huh. um, which I do think kind of hurts them. I think just, well, I don't know. Let's let's uh, round out the leaders beforehand. Yeah. Were there any other leaders you wanted to mention? I have so, one. So I wanted to talk about the Tyrant. Um, sure. Because he, he's kind of like, in, in Age of Sigmar, he's an obvious choice. Like, the Tyrant is a beefy beat stick. Yeah. You know, and I think he's kind of the same way here in Warcry, right? Like yep. he, the nice thing about the Tyrant is that he has a ranged attack that's not terrible and a melee attack that's really good, yep. right? Like his ranged attack, he gets eight inches on it, um, which is pretty yep. good. And you get three attacks at strength four, and it does one and four damage, right? Four for the crits. Um, his melee, he gets four attacks, strength six, four and eight. I mean, that's like four and eight. Holy cow. Like you are just beating somebody up with that. And so he's a little bit more versatile. Like, so for example, if you compare him to the crusher, if the crusher's 300 and, uh, sorry, the gut Lord, if the gut Lord's 330 points, right? Like the tyrants only five more points than him. Um, he does a little bit less melee damage, but he has an extra attack, and he has a ranged option as well. So yeah. I th- I think if I were to t- if I were to start a leader in my thing, I would look to the tyrant first. Yeah, and competitively, like one of the ways that you beat these giant you know these giant melee pieces is you essentially try to ignore them right because they're only move four but the tyrant can actually punish you for dancing around him right because if he can't catch you he can at least get his shooting attack off kind of finish some fighters off that way i think that that can be really valuable for only five more points absolutely i would take it and then like you said less damage but one more attack than the gut lord i think if i'm right it averages out to be um just barely a little bit more damage actually for the tyrant it's like very very close yeah. Yeah, yeah. but i think it's like on average like half a point or something more damage for the tyrant um yeah so with the strength just... with the strength of six i mean you're hitting usually on threes fours and fives right right so right that attack so is going through absolutely yeah so and i failed to mention that he has a two inch range on his weapon which is huge it is huge because you don't have to go get in total combat with somebody and you can still kill them and then not worry about, you know, having to disengage as your next move. Right. So yeah, he's pretty good. Just an incredible piece. The other piece. um, So I've actually got two. I've realized that I want to talk about the other piece. That's really exciting um, for competitive play is the thunder fist. Yes. And the reason is it's <laughs> so just good. so it's so efficient at killing small things. So right. um I think on the average on the average shot it does like seven and a half damage on average, which obviously 
you never do exactly seven and a half damage. Yeah. But I think you are 49% to kill an eight wound thing. I think you've got a puncher's chance at killing a 10 wound thing just in one shot. And this is from range. This is from 10 inches away. Yeah, and... which you can usually shoot twice, right? Because you don't have to move. Exactly. So, you can shoot yeah. twice. And then what's crazy is it's got, I think... All of the ogre leaders get this ability, where if they kill something, they get to uh, do another attack action, or another move or attack. Um, I think a few factions actually have their own version of this, but... So I, I think, think that's the leader, right? It says... Yes, uh, all the leaders my, do. Yeah, all the leaders can do this, right? So if so I were to use this ability... Yeah, the lead belcher and, and... leader... Yeah, exactly. Oh, go on, if you want to read it out. Yeah, so, so yeah, sorry, it says a fighter can use this ability only if an enemy fighter has been taken down by an attack action made by them this activation. This fighter makes a bonus move action or a bonus attack action, which is crazy good. It's, it's very good specifically. So, like I said before, a lot of factions have it, but no other faction has it on a ranged cannon like ogres yeah. do right yeah. because the thunder fist does so much damage it's so likely to be able to kill stuff the melee ones are definitely going to kill stuff too but you have a little bit less control over where when and how you kill something mm -hmm. um whereas a thunder fist you get to choose your targets you get to pick off things in certain orders so that you can basically guarantee that you always get this ability every single round. Yeah. And that's just terrifying for your opponent. Definitely. Uh, so that was your first one. What was your second one? Oh, yeah. Uh, they got a uh, cool Underworlds leader, um, Frothgorn Mantrapper. I think yes. he's he's a little bit like a downgraded Icebrow Hunter. But uh, the thing that sort of makes up for it for him is he's got a little friend i think the friend's name is quiv uh mm. and quiv can let him get a bonus attack and oh, that's nice. really good so yeah just a nice little you know ogres have so many other options whatever you're taking you're leaving home a full warband's worth of great options and i think this right. is one of those guys that sure if you're going the most competitive you can you probably wouldn't take him but if you if you were just like we're gonna cut out all of the <laughs> most competitive ones the b team of ogres would still be one of the more competitive warbands out there and yeah this is just one of those really good b team uh leaders so let's get into the the actual fighters themselves right the, yeah the normal our normal run-of-the-mill fighters um, you know, you've got uh, the range of Age of Sigmar that you can pull. You've got guys on uh, Mornfangs, right? The Wolves. You've got, uh, obviously, the Gluttons, the Iron Guts, the Lead Belchers. You've got Nobblers. You've got uh, the Icefall Yetis. You have the Gorgers. Um, and I was looking this up today because I'm like, Maneaters? What are those? And I had to actually go to the GW website and look <laughs> it up. And it's like a special order thing. And uh, by the way, those man eaters are not cheap. They're thirty five dollars. There's three different models, and there's thirty five dollars each. Yep. I was like, wow. Okay, no wonder why I don't see those ever. Because, <laughs> and they're, they're in, in uh, incredibly fragile resin. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, I was. I had to look up those man eaters. Um, I don't think I would take the man eaters, to be honest with you. Same. Um, same. They got okay shooting and okay like. They're they're like mediocre at both shooting and 
melee, right? Like right. I would rather take a lead belcher that has fantastic phenomenal shooting and then like an iron gut or an ogre to like round out my melee, you know. Yeah, for me the of the ogres, the one I'm high on the most is the uh the glutton that's carrying two clubs. Yeah. I think that's the one I like the best. Iron guts I think are too feast or famine for me um okay. as far as that low number of attacks, but you know, if you're yeah, feeling just, lucky. They only have two. They only have Yeah, two. yeah. So if you uh want to load your dice then <laughs> then they're pretty good uh i think the reason because they often do this with these lower attack higher like strength and damage profiles is uh -huh. they just assume you're always going to be using onslaught for them right um my problem is that if you don't have onslaught ready if you had to use it to run something across the board or do something else you know you don't really get as much out of the out of the iron gut it can whiff so often and these pieces are so expensive i never want to yeah. whiff with them right right um yeah i mean ogres like you got them iron guts lead belchers they make sense nobblers make sense because they're only 45 points yeah. And they are amazing at board control and just causing problems. Absolutely. You know? um, and this is this was my experience. Um, our you know Jason plays with the ogres, and um, he would use these noblars just to blo like you know it's a it's a you know um, assassination mission or you know even just trying to grab like uh, or it's like a treasure grab type of mission right? Uh, yeah. Go for it, and he just put a nobbler right in my way. And it's like, ugh, because then I got to spend a turn to kill it, right. and then you know what I mean. And they just become super annoying. Um, and, and if there's a blocking. bunch of them on an objective, and you just like run up to the objective, like I'm gonna clear out these noblars, and then all of a sudden, yeah, one noblar is not gonna hurt your your fighter, but all of a sudden you're fighting four noblars. Yeah. Uh, they actually yeah. their damage kind of adds up. It does. They'll definitely chip away at you, especially if they've got two attacks each. Yep. You know, and they get a couple of crits. That's that, that's three three damage a little crit. You know, so yeah. Out um, of a forty five point fighter, it can feel pretty surprising if it if it happens. So the ones that I haven't seen too often, um, I haven't seen like the you know the Mornfane pack ones, mm -hmm. right? So those are the yep. ogres on the wolves. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about like mounted units in in Warcry in general? Yeah, if it's not catacombs, I have this terrible disease where I just break out in hives if I'm running a, a mounted unit. It, <laughs> I've I've had some real troubles. I've um I've had real troubles getting mounted units across the board effectively. Yeah, right. Because uh, you can't even... climb anything with it. You can't, you can't climb go, anything. Yeah. You can't. You can You can't go through doorways. Um, right. You know. So you've got to like run around things and like like a little a little barricade could be in your path and you're like yeah I'm not getting through that. You know. Exactly. Whereas like the your fighter can go like a barricades you know, that only yeah. that only slow you down one inch if you're just yeah. a regular fighter. 
uh, all of a sudden they're just like a they may as well be the Iron Curtain to a to a mounted (laughs) unit. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I mean, yes, high mobility, but like I'd rather put that into a flyer probably somewhere. You know what I mean? Um, The only mounted units that I'm really okay with, and we'll get to this in other factions. There are a few out there, but it's got to be something like a Varen Guard or you know something where if it does connect. Um, or like the the uh, the killer boss on Nash Tooth, yep. something where if it does get in position, all of a sudden the whole game revolves around it. Yep. Um, and I think Mornfang Pack aren't quite capable of of getting to a spot and making the entire game revolve around them. The nice thing they do have, um, I mean they they've essentially got the same stats as. Um, you know, their their on foot counterparts in terms of the number of attacks and damage yep. that they can do. The night the difference is is that um they can move eight instead of four, right? Yeah. And um so like if you compare Glutton to the uh Mornfang pack with Culling Club and Iron Fist, like that's uh the one on the Mornfang is forty points more if you compare the Gargant Hacker on the Mornfane pack with the Iron Gut, he's um, like 10 points more. So you're paying a little bit more for the mount because you're getting the speed. But my experience has been the terrain really just can hose you. Like yeah. it can really hose you. So yeah. maybe maybe not so much on the traditional Warcry board. I don't know. Like because sometimes you can catch those edges and really run. You know? Yeah, yeah you can um, like do laps and sometimes that'll make it so that you know they're trying to run away from you, and all of a sudden you've just done a lap of the board, and they what they yeah. thought was safe wasn't. Sometimes that can happen. That's true. Yeah. So, so I don't know. It's something to think about. I'm not high on them. Um, you know, I think so, I think you can get more bang for your buck with the lead belchers. You know. Yeah. And the other reason I'm not high on them is that um, ogres, you know, rightly or wrongly, they've got these other incredible tools called frost yeah. sabers and yetis. Right. Exactly. And that's what I was yeah. going to say. Are you high on those ones? Yes, I love those ones. Um, and the Gorger, I think all of the slightly smaller, slightly less damage, but a um, little bit faster. I mean, the Gorger is only one inch faster, but you know what I mean. Like the, yeah. the sort of mid-cost ones, um, I think are great options if you if you want to play them. I mean, you throw on two Frost Sabers and it's maybe 100 points more than, you know, the uh, lead belcher, for example. And, yeah, yep. that's 100 points, but you got two units that can now run eight inches, you yep. know. Um, and they can you hunt do a double down. move, that's 16 yep. inches. 16 inches. That's the yeah. whole board, you know. Yeah. So, and, and, and they got up... the beast. They can, they can climb, I believe, right? Because they, they just have the beast rune. They don't have the mount rune so they can still climb up stuff and do that usually almost always it's paws don't get the mount keyword and hooves do yeah right (laughs) that's a good point yeah (laughs) those poor beasts of chaos they all have hooves (laughs) yeah right (laughs) they should give all of them the mount keyword (laughs) so uh you mentioned you mentioned our bladeborn um faction and i want to touch on them right so the leader of that is the uh hrothgorn man trapper and you said he's kind of like a, a light um, icebrow hunter. Uh, yep. The nice thing that he brings to the table are his minions. I think that they're amazing, actually. Yeah. So, so Thrafnir is a frost. It's basically a frost saber, 
Um, oh. He's got a little bit better stats. Well, actually, they're about the same. Almost exactly uh, the same I think stats. it's only just two more uh, hit points. Or yeah, wounds. two more hit points. Sorry. And he's only five more five more points um, for that, right? So you, yep. you get that. Um, and then he comes with three Noblars, Luggett and Thwack, yep. Bushwaka and Quiv. And they're, uh, you know, 65, 40, and 45 points. And again, like we talked about how amazing Noblars can be on here just in terms of board control and presence, especially if you get those missions that are like, you know, whoever has more fighters in the quadrant. Um, yep. Hiding, be able to hide some Noblars like behind some terrain and just have them count like that is pretty amazing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And Bushwhacker being five fewer points than a Noblar than a regular Noblar is like just why wouldn't you take him? I think yeah. the only situation where a regular Noblar does more is specifically against other like toughness three, toughness two fighters. Um, but for the most part, Bushwhack is going to do the same damage. And it's got the same number of wounds. It just costs five fewer points. It's amazing. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Hrothgorn's Mantrapper, um, actually it's Bushwhacker's Mantrapper, which is like the um, the bear trap thing. Oh, yes. yes. It is which so is... good. Yeah. So it, it only takes a double for the ability, right? And yep. you pick a point on the, you know, within three inches of Bushwhacker. And... Um, and then he puts it down, and any time, the first time an enemy fighter gets within that trap, so, like, you drop that thing on top of an objective. That's perfect, yep. right? So, and anytime, it, they, yeah, go ahead. And if you put it in a choke point, um, right. it's not just finishes a move, it's moves. So, yes, if exactly. their path takes them through past the trap, yep. it still deals damage to them. Um, a lot of these kinds of effects, yeah. Yeah, two d six damage points, which is quite a bit. I mean, that's an average of seven. Yeah, you know, so which is could... ridiculous for a double on a forty point model. Yeah, it's exactly. crazy. Exactly. I mean that that could totally you know that could absolutely kill something that's been injured. You know, yeah. and uh, that would be a bad day. <laughs> a real you bad know? day. Yeah. And then uh, Luggett and Thwack also, you know, not necessarily burning down the house everywhere, but like for. 20 extra points in your list. I think they're really good. They're, you uh -huh. know, that four four wounds and an extra inch of uh, of range because they do a little bit more damage too than a regular Noblar does. Yep. Yep. Um, so I think I think if you've got 20 points in your list, yeah, why wouldn't you just put Luggett and Thwack in there? Well, and, and the two-inch range really helps them. I mean, like, that can't be stated enough with these little Noblars, right? Because... Um, I've had it to where, like, I thought I had a killing blow on a Noblar, and I ended up getting six damage points. And they're, like, eight damage, you know, they got, like, yep. eight wounds or something like that. So, you know, being two inches away, that forces a lot of models to have to move and then take one swing. Yep. So, um, I think, I think it's great. Very good. For 65 points, like, that's, that's a stupid, stupid good price. And they have yep. 12 wounds, too. So yeah. <laughs> normally 65 points, you're looking at like a skeleton that's got eight wounds, you know? Yep. So, yeah, they're yeah. very durable yeah. at their points cost. Yeah, so um, if you were to put together your ideal list here um, off the top of your head, and I'm not going to hold you to exact points, what, like, what are you looking to 
throw in. So pick a leader, maybe an ally, and some some units. What, what, what would sure. You so I haven't um haven't built a ton of lists with them post TOC points changes yet, mm-hmm. but I think I would want I'd want to start with a Thunderfist. Yes. Um, and then go straight to. Basically, between Frost Saber, Yeti, and Gorger, I would reserve a space for one of them, but I would just okay. see what the points look like at the end. You sure, know what sure. I mean? Yep. Like, I think you absolutely have to have one, but I don't think you necessarily... I don't think you it necessarily like matters. <laughs> right, exactly. And I don't think it necessarily matters which of them you're taking. Um, I think I like the Frost Saber best, but all of them are great. And for extra points, I would absolutely upgrade it to a Gorger or something, or a Yeti. So, But mostly what I'd focus on would be if I wanted a second leader or not. So I might go with a second Thunderfist. I might go with a Tyrant. Um, and then I'd want to flood the board with Noblars. I would want, you know, five, six, seven Noblars. Um, maybe include Bushwhacka and then... Yeah, I would go Bushwhacka and five Noblars right away. And then I would uh-huh. see how many points I've got left uh, and use it on either lug it and thwack or use it on sort of taking, you know, deciding which of the Gorger, Frost Saber, or Yeti to use, um, something like yeah. that. Okay. Um, I would definitely start with a Thunder Fist myself. Uh-huh. Um, and I would bring another Lead Belcher. I mean, this is the, this is like competitive list that we're building. Sure, right? sure. So I'm going to try to make this as filthy as I can. Right. <laughs> so I would take a Thunderfist, another Lead Belcher. Um, I would think about – so that puts me at roughly um, 500 – Almost 500 points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Lead Belchers took a 10-point hike yep, in the yep. uh, TOC. Yep. So then I would probably go with <coughs> two frost sabers and then some noblars. Okay. So let my let my frost sabers just kind of go capture stuff. Maybe use some noblars for board control, right? So that yep. would put me at um, like two nice ranged attacks. I'd go two frost sabers for some you know capture stuff and movement. Right, and that yep. uh, the two frost savers that would put me at eight thirty, roughly. Um, yep. You know, eight hundred thirty points, and so that would give me um, three more noblars to put in my list. Yeah. So that's what that I think that that's nice. kind of what I would do. Um, I can say I played against Iron Guts, and I can say I played against the Ogres, and those things are so beefy that once you once they get to an objective, it is it's almost as, as impossible to kill them as it is the the tyrant like they just yep. don't die you know so my experience has been that you have had to try to screen them out with your own units you know mm-hmm. and um and try to use your movement um against them right so yeah maybe maybe funny. that leads us to our next segment right i guess is like what what they're oh, good sure. at and what yeah. they're not good at yeah i would say so. their strengths they're their biggest strength is like the most simple part. They're so destruction, right? The most yeah. simple part of Warcry. It's like they're good at dealing damage. They're good at taking damage. Right. That's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are their it's, two It's very strengths. thematic, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so thematic. <laughs> they can take a hit and they can give out a hit. And those yeah. are their two. And it's all over the place, right? Like Noblars 
point for point, they can take a hit and give out a hit. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Like, it's all up and down the faction is they take hits and they deal hits. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I, I mean, that's that's the simplest way to explain it. Uh, their abilities, I think, help them a lot, too. Like, you, we yep. talked about, you know, their ability to make a bonus attack action or move action. Um, some of the... Some of the um, other things have like uh, you know allocate extra damage you know through the bull charge like if they you know end up finishing their move they get to do damage on the charge yep. kind of thing uh, you know uh, you get to roll a dice with the iron fist and if you get like a six you do like the ability damage so they just constantly doing damage right and uh, that's Absolutely. obviously what they're really good at uh, no destruction. Yeah, exactly. What they're not good at is, um, I think, kind of a key thing in Warcry, they don't fly. So a lot of these, like the Red Harvest terrain, is kind of a big deal for them. Yeah, uh, that's Agreed. it's tough because their movement is four generally across the board. Yeah. So climbing up on top of a platform is going to take them a couple of turns. Yeah, it can be it can be a little rough for them. Luckily, I mean, lead belchers aren't the worst at shooting flyers out of the sky right like you're <laughs> not gonna true. none of these ogres are gonna catch flyers in melee at least lead belchers give you some counterplay as far as just shooting them goes yeah. um but yeah there are a lot of missions where just having a flyer is a huge advantage um and they don't they don't really get one yeah and and so like the the other thing is that their movement they're pretty slow you know what i mean they're not the slowest out there by any means um but you know some of your base troops are pretty slow that's why i would kind of want to take frost saber i still think that movement is such a key aspect of Warcry. it's to me movement in age of sigmar is the most important stat you know like uh, more than saves and things like that i think movement is the key um and i think that that translates a little bit into Warcry as well so you know, having that, having good movement, allowing you to kind of get to where you need to go, where you need to be, when you need to be there, uh, is a big deal. So, I, you know, they can kind of mitigate it by throwing in some frost savers or the yeti uh, to to get where they need to go, what they need to do. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's that's our mitigation for the speed, right? Just throw a couple frost savers in there, and and I think you're good. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it was very telling that both of us included Frost Sabers in our sort of competitive build for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what, um, if you're playing Ogres, what kind of strategies do you, would you employ? So I was actually going to ask you a few questions around this because you're the one who's played against them a whole bunch. For me, it would basically be um, just trying to clear out all their chaff with these lead belchers as quickly as I could. Especially because one other weakness quick of, of ogres that I didn't talk about before is they just don't have a lot of disruption, disruptive abilities. Like a lot uh-huh. of really good factions can uh, mess you up without dealing damage to you, right? They can root you in place. They can kind of right. reduce your damage, stuff like that. Ogres yep. aren't doing that. Um, so <laughs> no. they're going right. to play their game at you, and but you get to play your game at them. Um so honestly, if I were playing ogres, and I'm curious to hear your take from your games against them, I would just like rush forward with everything, yes. everything that isn't a lead <laughs> belcher. I would just go all in 
Yep. Just playing as simple, as sort of smooth-brained as possible. I would just go straight at them. Yeah, I that's I mean that's basically it, right? And um I played against lists where Jason had two lead belchers in that in the list, and I played against lists where he only had one, right? Sure. Um and then he had other uh like gluttons in the list. So he only had like four models plus a knoblar or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, one of them was the, the tyrant. And so like a lot of his strategy, I feel like was get the tyrant, try to get the tyrant into combat with the big things as quickly as possible. Yeah. Right? Like um, don't because... be afraid to double move Yep. early because you can take the hit, right? Exactly. Like if you, if you overcommit with your glutton or your tyrant or, you know, any of these melee ogres, the big chunkers, they can take the hit because that's one of the scary things about committing with a big piece early is you don't want to get it oh, yeah. cleared off the board. But your opponent's probably not going to manage that with your yeah. ogre list. Yeah, and what would happen a lot of times too is that like um, he would charge the tyrant and maybe like some of the gluttons up, and then the lead belchers would clear the way. Right, so I might have some chaff units up that are you know maybe not like the hoping that they would be the main targets for and just get in the way of the tyrant you know so like yeah. if i'm running like a giant rat yeah let me get that giant rat in the tyrant's way so he has to at least deal with that one thing before he comes at my rat ogre or something right like that. which is crazy inefficient for that tyrant who can do like 13 damage or you know yeah. 12 damage but it's on a giant rat it's like he's wasting eight damage on it yeah absolutely exactly so that's like that's you know when i'm playing against him that's what i'm trying to do right there however you know he gets his guys up quick and hard and then the lead belchers are like no 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 take that giant right off the board because i'm gonna kill that one and that one and that one yep. and then all of a sudden you know my pack master or my rat ogre is exposed right. to the tyrant you know and um that can't that that can be where it gets a little dicey uh and that that to me was like the the whole feeling is like just get them up and start doing carnage as fast as you can and clear out a lot of the chaff with the with the lead belchers yeah that makes a lot of sense that's a great sort of yeah that's a great tip for playing <laughs> playing as them even though you yeah. found this out by playing against them but yeah <laughs> right, target right. priority really matters for ogres yeah um what i found when i was playing against them strategies to play against them uh getting up in the grill of the lead belchers was key right so okay. if you can um if you can throw uh, one of your chaff units and, and engage that lead belcher in combat, um, that really takes away a lot of their, a lot of their abilities, you know, um, especially since they can't shoot uh, within three inches, their range yep. is three to 10 inches. So um, if you really want to try to take down that lead belcher, just get up close fast against them. Right. Um, you kind of got to do against them with the lead belchers what they're trying to do against you, which is sure. get in there quickly. Right. So yeah. I think one time I, I was playing a Stormcast Prosecutor, you know, um, yeah. and, you know, he's got like a freaking 20 inch move or something like that. It might be 12 <laughs> inches, but he, yeah. he can go and The prosecutors far. have legitimate damage output, too. Yeah. So I remember flying him in and tying up that lead belcher pretty well. Um, unfortunately, you know, the Stormcast, they didn't have a lot of models either. And the Tyrant just literally de decimated my Liberators. 
Like there was no, there's no hope for those guys. <laughs> Ogres in particular seem like the worst possible matchup for Stormcast because like yeah. they've got a lot of Stormcast's strengths, right? They've got some of these like super powered elite pieces, yeah. but just also having one or two Noblars and then most of, well, not, not all, but a lot of the ogre pieces their damage doesn't fall off against higher toughness things right like they've right, got pretty right. good strength so they can kind of they can kind of crack the armor of uh of the stormcast yeah so the the one that i beat him with the faction i beat him with was with my cruel boys actually okay um and i had several little hobgrots um, I had the Hobgrat Slittas, right? Right. Um, I had two Bolt Boys, and I had the Swamp uh, Swamp College Shaman, and the um, Killaboss, like the one on foot. Sure. And Oh, so and... the Swamp College Shaman, that ability to reduce number of attacks. Yes. That re yes. Each attack you take away is a lot of damage. That's exactly <laughs> what was happening. Is I was I was reducing that attack, and the Killaboss, um, he was actually pretty good, you know. Like I mean, he, like he has a, a strength of four, um, yeah. but I was getting some crits, which he does two two five damage, right? So five damage on the crits. Mm -hmm. So um, he wasn't bad, and and he's got twenty eight wounds himself. So he was going toe to toe with some of the the gluttons, especially when the um, shaman was kind of taking away some of those attacks as yep. well with his with his stuff right and um the big thing is is that i got i was able to get those slittas in uh position and kind of just get a whole bunch of dudes next to the um uh get a bunch of dudes next to the objective and um they they were like had cover so where he had positioned his lead belchers they had to shoot through cover to get to some of these other guys so that was oh, sure. reducing their their effectiveness quite a bit you know yeah yeah so and then also slit is being able to do a little bit of damage without engaging in melee mm -hmm. seems like it would probably be pretty nice against ogres where you don't you don't want to fight them with things that can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them right yeah i mean they've got a, a you know a range of their they've got a melee range they're little grenade things of three to seven and i mean it doesn't do much but you get a crit that's four points and again like same right. with the grots right they can um they can uh chip away at some of that damage so um that was the only time that i have beaten him against ogres right and i've been messing around with a bunch of different other lists i've played uh let's see what did i play i played night haunt against him i've played orcs uh the iron jaws against him i've played um Slaves to Darkness. I played uh, Nurgle. I, like some of these lists aren't very optimized, but we just wanted some variety. Yeah. Like the Nurgle one I have, I have like four plague drones. Ooh, fun. Um, okay. Yeah. So the cool thing about that is like it's um. Actually, I think I beat him on that list, with that list because they had crazy movement. You know, like they were all over the board, so the the ogres just couldn't catch up to them, and they would even get out of range of the lead belchers. These are the demon plague drones, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So they were pretty good. They were pretty good. Um, yeah. So you know, I mean, I've just played. We've been playing on different things. I think I did beat him, I guess, with the with the plague drones. Um, and then, 
yeah, and then again with the um, Cruel Boys. So that Ooh. was a that was a good match there. Uh, I came close to beating him with the uh, Iron Jaws one time, and to be fair, I think I could have gone really toe to toe with him because I had a Mega Boss on foot with the Iron Jaws, and yep. like like three um, brutes and like two Ard Ard Boys or something like that. But we pulled the mission where it said um, you can only take your shield. Like the dagger and hammer have run away. So whatever's in your <laughs> shield is on the table okay. and you have to survive three rounds. Okay. You know, and so it essentially like I was at like 40% strength and he had his whole army and I'm like, oh my gosh. It was basically like two brutes, you know? Yeah. So... Um, but we had the twist card was chaotic, chaotic beasts. So I was throwing chaotic beasts like, at him like crazy, and you know, like to and the tyrant never ever made it to them, but it they just got worn down by the lead belchers, and literally it came down to like the last dice roll of the third round, and if he had gotten like a couple points fewer damage, I would have won. So I love it when Warcry games come down to that last point of last dice roll. Oh man, and happens here's a the lot. Thing. And here's the thing, like people complain sometimes, and, and I think we should do a show on this as like some of the some of the mission cards and and twists and stuff like that, right? Yep. Um, we should we should like really dive into that because what I don't think people realize is that this game is actually way more balanced than you think. Um, I've played I've played a ton of games with a ton of different warbands and scenarios and things like that, and every time I think I'm gonna get absolutely destroyed, it ends up being like one of the closest games that I've had. You know, yeah. um, I, I don't know what it is about this game, but it's like, I think I'm going to get literally destroyed and I'm like, this is not even going to be close. And then sure enough, like it's coming down to the last round, the last, you know, <laughs> few dice rolls. And, yep. you know, we walk away like I may lose, but I'm like, I didn't think it was going to get that close. And that was, that was a great game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. uh. What do you say about moving to our uh, "quote unquote" main topic <laughs> an hour into the uh, hour into the pod? Oh yeah, that's um, great. Because I think, yeah. yeah, I think uh, we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't talk about the Tome of Champions at least to. a little bit. Yeah, I think I think the Tome of Champions, um, you know, there's there's some inter you get this question a lot. I see this on Facebook all the time, right? Which is Hey guys, I, I want to start out. What books do I need to have, right? And the answer invariably is get the core rule book. You got to have that one. And what faction are you playing? Get the Grand Alliance book for that at least, right? Um, yep. And then kind of go from there. I think, though, that the Tome of Champions 2021 is one that is going to be on that list. You've got to have it. I think you have to have it. And not just for the points updates, which you could get from, from a buddy. Or something yeah, like that, right? Right, like I'm sure it, there's some Google Docs somewhere that's got all the points updates, right? Right, right. Or if you have you and your friends, like if your friend is really into it and has one, but I think even just holding it just to like just to have for material, there's just so much. And I think it's the best Warcry publication to date. Um, I think so too. You know, there I, have been I thought things... that the Grand Alliance books were really amazing, but yes. this one is really really good yeah there's been stuff i haven't been enamored by like i think the monsters and mercenaries yeah. book was whatever but this one's a little half-baked yeah <laughs> uh this one's great i think um 
maybe we just uh, like quick go over, like gloss over the points adjustments and then talk about some of the stuff that makes it kind of hold up as a book other than just an updates update to the competitive side on the points, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's great. And by the way, for our listeners out there, Dan, you did a an amazing review on your YouTube channel about points updates. Yeah, specifically. Uh, like you I'll, went real deep in it. I did. So um, I'll kind of direct people to there for a more... Um, I think that's a great a idea. A more in-depth. But just the, the high-level... Um, a lot of shooting got nerfed, uh, which I think it was... It was an interesting one because I think it was hurting a lot of casual players, even if I think most people weren't that upset about it on the competitive side, um, uh-huh. which I think is a good reminder that sometimes competitive balance and casual balance are two different things. Uh, they That's also, hard to do too, right? <laughs> yeah. They kind of changed how they do sort of speed as well. Um, Power projection in general just got a little bit tweaked, right? So fast things that don't have the mount keyword were generally pointed up a little bit uh, and move three fighters were generally pointed down. Uh, And then durability got the same kind of shuffle where toughness five fighters generally got their points brought down, uh, whereas high wound fighters generally got their points up. So like a lot of ogres got their points pushed up a tiny bit or um, a lot of stormcast got their push points pushed down, right? Because stormcast, classically, they don't actually have that many wounds. They're just very, right. very tough. Right. Uh, and then the Especially leader tag. get that shield, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and then because they uh, started putting guidelines that tournaments shouldn't have allies um they took away the leader tax which i guess you could go back and forth on which trade-off you'd like i think the ally mechanic relies on the leader tax to sort of function in a balanced way um so i guess you could decide i prefer being able to take allies and and I'm willing to take a 20-point hike on my leaders to do it. Or you could say I just like having leaders actually be good and worth their points. Either You could really make either argument, I think. Let me ask you this. You know, because I actually wish that tournaments would do allies. I think that that creates opportunities for some really interesting lists out there. Uh-huh. I understand why. I mean, the, con- the contorted epitome is like the glaring example of why you don't do allies for tournaments right because everybody would take that thing because it's just so good um i think like the um uh the war i think the same is true the war chanter i think the same is true of uh the high sentinel out of lumineth realm lords um yeah i think the savage arrow boss is also one where it's like it's the cheapest way to get wah if you don't have wa yeah um so yeah i think there's definitely some balance i think the ally mechanic is way harder to balance from a competitive standpoint so i I was gonna say i wonder like what would you think about having um a just an ally tax period right so like if you want an ally you need to pay 50 points you know straight up Instead of like it being pointed to the model, 
I think. Um, would that change anything? Yeah, I'm trying to think. It would be. Other than the fact that it would punish cheap allies more than expensive allies, right? Because you're taking a different percentage of their cost. Right. I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna do it player comp wise, I think that that's the only way you can do it, right? Because, um, because there needs to be a cost, and right. before the leader tax was the cost. If it was just an ally tax, I think that that would be. A great way to do it. I think that that would be a great thing to experiment with with a uh, with a narrative yeah. event um, because you know much like the one at Adepticon is experimenting with the three X the the rule of three. Right. Um, right. I think doing it with an ally tax I think would work really well because especially for narrative events. That's where, to me, allies really shine because, yeah. yes, they cause balance problems for competitive, but when I think of a list I want to bring to a narrative event, it's a meme list. And most meme, like, yeah, it, it's like a, <laughs> right. a list with a crazy combo, right? Yeah, so, yeah. like, I think about things like how the, uh, who's the corn guy with the whip? He's the only corn guy who's not like stoker? super buff. Yeah, the Bloodstoker. Thank you. Yeah. The Bloodstoker has that ability where he can give uh, extra attacks to beasts. Right, right. But beasts aren't only in corn, right? There's beasts in <laughs> Slanesh as well because yep, Fiend yep. Bloods. So you could take a Bloodstoker into your uh, Fiend Bloods list and do like a, you know, beast themed. Slanesh list, even though Slanesh <laughs> right, and corner right. enemies, it could it could work. I think um, there's lots of kind of cool combos that are opened up with allies that I think in a world where you're not that concerned who wins or loses the tournament, I think could be really really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I think it would be interesting to experiment with, and then that way, like if you wanted to do an event that didn't have allies or something like that, you, you're not saddled with the leader tax still. Right. You know what I mean? Like you yep. could turn that function on and off depending on, so I don't know if 50 points is the right number. I don't, you know, I'm just, we're just kind of throwing that out there, but I think um, if you did an ally tax, that might be interesting. Yeah. I'd love to see, I'd love to see a narrative event where somebody um, experimented with that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. Sorry, I kind of derailed derailed you a little bit. <laughs> no, that's that's it. I think uh, I kind of said essentially what changed. Um, the only I know that there were a lot of people a little bit salty um, after the change. I mean, everyone is going to be mad with when points changes happen because yeah, yeah. there's going to be changes to your list, and you know, well, I wasn't. I don't deserve this nerf. I was fine, right? Right. But I think one theme of it was that uh, the changes happened regardless of whether you were a bad actor, right? So, like, shooting got nerfed across the board, but right. the bad archers also got nerfed. Right. Um, move 3 got buffed across the board, but, well, there was only a couple good move 3 units before, but, like, Plague bearers were pretty good and got a five point buff, and and they didn't right. need a buff by any means. <laughs> um, right. So, like Croxagors got the same high wound nerf that ogres did, and 
you know, I've talked to people who tried to make Croxagorth work and it's hard. It was already hard to make them work and now it's even harder. So I think some people are upset at that and I think that's legitimate. I think, uh, yeah, that's tough, but um, I think the general direction I'm happy with. I was going to say, this is the first real points balance that Warcry has had. Um, And you know, I think we would have gotten this a lot sooner. I, I, well, okay, so let's uh, put out the disclaimer. Uh, the front cover of my Tome of Champions says 2021, and we got it in 2022. <laughs> right. So, you know, obviously this was supposed to come out probably last September, July, September, you know. I bet August, they wrote September. these points changes like nine months ago, maybe oh. even a year ago. Oh, you I know think, what I mean? I think... I think that these points changes, believe it or not, were written written in late 2020. Um, I think so. I do. I think they were written in late 2020. I think that they realized that stuff was getting way delayed, so they they held off on it, and they were able to add other things like the cruel boys and the you know, like those yep. things to it. Um, and then and then they went to pub. They they kind of finalized the publication probably in early 2021 and it just got to us in 2022 sure that's that's what i think um because that's the thing is like these um when they come out with the like general's handbooks you know Mm -hmm. um for age of sigmar that usually comes out in july like that had been written in october the year before Sure, it's like they're just taking the the first two months of lessons from the previous GHB and then they're using that to inform the next one. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we're getting some, like, these these points updates, in my opinion, were really only based off of some anecdotal evidence and maybe some playtesting. Like, we didn't have any real events to judge it by because by the time it rolled out, the pandemic started. And so... You know, for their first time, I think they did a pretty good job. You know, what I'm looking at with the points, costs, and adjustments that they made, there's nothing in here that I'm like, oh, wow, that was really dumb. You know, or like, I cannot believe they buffed that or nerfed that. I mean, yeah, you may have a little onesie-twosie things where you're like, eh, that didn't work as well. But nothing so egregious that I'm like, this was really dumb, you know? Yeah. Um. But there's other stuff in this book, like we just said uh, yeah. a little while ago, other than points changes. Um, yeah. Points changes are like, what, the first, like, four pages of the book? Yeah, yeah. You know? And then it goes into, um, so does the siege battle stuff want to tempt you into trying out a giant siege battle at all? I do. I so do. You do? Okay. I do. Do you? Well, it's really big. Right, it's like, humongous. It's almost it's like humongous. a it's almost like a half size Age of Sigmar game. Yes, like when absolutely. It, comes down to it. So, it is like, because if, a medium yeah. siege is three thousand points versus two thousand points. <laughs> <laughs> That's a medium siege. I know a large one is four thousand <laughs> points versus twenty six fifty. I yeah. mean, imagine the amount of ogres you get in that four thousand point list. <laughs> like <laughs> you've got like five lead belchers raining raining you know all sorts of fire and fury down on your you know your opponents but man yep. i'll tell you what like 
the way that these things are set up and like it seems really fun to me. It seems like it would be a fun like narrative night, you know. Sure. To run um, and something so, like yeah. at the end of a campaign, like oh, you and yeah, your buddies just finished a campaign, and now this is like the culmination of it. Something right. like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's cool. Um, they've got the story of the siege of Karengrad right here, or Karengrad, right, which is right. the um, that that Karengrad had um, a place in some of the other books, if I'm not mistaken, right, in the original book. Was it Karengrad uh, in there? I think so. I the only one that I've read, and by read I meant had it read to me on audible is the uh catacombs book okay. and karngrad figures largely in that book yes okay all right yeah yeah um and yeah i mean there's a lot of a lot of stuff with karngrad it seems like so this is like the yeah. this they they have a two-page spread in here of the siege of karngrad and basically how it's it, very how it detailed down. and there's so there's detailed. a ton of like story moments to put into the game um, as far as the monster or, you know, you set up the walls, but then the attackers get to break one of your terrain pieces, um, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, I love it too. Like there's like different ways to get victory points, right? Like the attackers team gains three victory points for each fighter that breaches the defense, right? You get 10 points if you destroy the gatehouse, like, you know, like there's so uh, the defenders get one victory point for each fighter that they take down. Yep. Uh, 15 victory points if the messenger escapes, <laughs> right? So, which is great. Yep. Like, it, I mean, there's uh, there's good stuff. There's reserves that can come in. Like it's like you said, it's very detailed, and I think that it, um, man, I think it would be fun. And what I saw, I think I saw on Facebook, somebody did the siege of Karngrad, but they did it basically doubles. So they had two people playing, and so each had like fifteen hundred points for the attackers, and each had a thousand nice. points for the defenders. So, I mean, this could easily be a pretty awesome four-player game here. That you could yeah, do. I think that's the way to do it. I think I don't think for two players that I'd want to do this siege battle instead of a regular game, but I mm -hmm. absolutely think for four players that that's a great solution. Oh man, could you imagine? You're like, dude, hold your flank, hold your yeah. flank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot especially because so the core rules only have, I think, two options for four-player mm -hmm. games as far as games, you know, multiplayer ways to play, and both of them are pretty good, by the way. I've I've played, um, I've only played one three-player game, but it it worked great. The rules yeah. worked perfectly. So yeah. the multiplayer stuff in Warcry is really good, but I think this could be a cool addition to that specifically. I think so too, because I mean, like, they're giving you allowance to really open up the throttle with that many points. You know. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of options. Like again, even if you're if you if you split it between two people, two thousand War Warcry points. Like that's a lot yep. of that's a lot of units you can throw in there. You know, you can do a lot of interesting combos with that. So, um, so that that's listed in the open play. Uh, you get to the narrative play, which I think is obviously narrative 
I think we've, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I know Jason and I have. Narrative, I think, is Warcry's strongest suit. I think that there's, I think we're going to see the competitive come out and we'll be able to judge whether or not like Warcry is a very good competitive game. But I think we already know that it's a very, very good narrative campaign or, or yeah. a narrative game. Right. I, very, very good. I think probably better than many of many other games workshop games. Like the, the narrative aspect is so good. So, um, and there is a mind boggling number of campaigns in this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as the branching quests and then the, um, what are they called? The faded quests, I think. Yep. And then yep. there's the narrative campaigns, which are different from regular quests. Um, there, yeah. There's just an incredible amount of stuff to play through. If, if that's your jam. Yeah. The branching quests are really interesting because they play just like your normal campaigns that are in the core book or something like that. But at each convergence, you can kind of take a path, either A or either B, and that'll lead right. you to different rewards and things like that. So I think that's pretty cool. And then obviously the faded, the faded quests, like um, those are a lot of fun to to work through because uh, I think with those, like you end up you end up um, gaining some like pretty significant rewards, right? With those. Yeah, and I think that the branching quests are going to be kind of the same. I haven't sort of gone out and plotted, you know, which ones give you the strongest artifacts because I, I don't feel like that's the point of yeah. these narrative play. Um, but, yeah, I think I think overall it's really cool that you can just keep playing and playing and playing them over and over. Um, and then I wanted to talk about the narrative campaigns because... Yep. A lot like the Siege, they have a ton of detail, and they let you bring in, um, like, really signature models. Like, Arcan the Black gets rules in the game now. Right. Wow. Um, which is pretty incredible. I'm actually... Well, he's got 50 wounds, which is pretty pretty impressive, and he's flying yeah. with 8-inch move. I'm uh, a little disappointed in his attack for being a giant legendary man on a <laughs> on a yeah. giant skeleton yeah. horse. He gets four um, attacks, strength five, <laughs> and it does three and six damage. Like, right, which uh, is okay. Less it's than pretty an good, ogre. but it's less than some <laughs> ogres, right? Um, but I think the idea is that he's a wizard, and uh, yeah. he's got this curse of years. Which anything on a quad, I'm. I mean, I guess I'm approaching this too much from a competitive player's mind mindset. Any quad, I just refuse to try to build around. But yeah, it's still pretty cool that you get to play with Arcan, and that it Arcan now has stats, so that if you ever wanted to play with Arcan in your own games, like you can do that now, which I think is yeah. great. Um, yeah, and just all of these have little. All of these narrative quests have just little special rules, like Vermintide has yep, rules about yep. how moves are different now and stuff like that. I remember uh, when the Fool's Trove and Ulfenkarn came out, is right after, um, or right as Curse City was being released, and going through that narrative campaign, which is now included in this book as well. So what one oh, thing cool. that I want to mention is um, GW released has kind of 
trickled out a whole bunch of like free content that they put out, which is some of these narrative campaigns, some of the rule sets for like Cruel Boys or Luminous Realm Lords or you know the new Thundercast Storm Stormcast Eternals, and but they're now all contained in this book, which is great because I've got them saved on a computer somewhere, which is fine and everything, but I'd rather have it all in one place that I know I can find it right. Um, and I don't right. forget about it in like two years from now, what, what computer I saved it on, <laughs> you know, but, um, anyway, the, uh, fool's trove and Ulfenkarn, which is kind of cool. Like it's a three part narrative campaign that you play with like four people. And, yeah. um, it like, I remember reading it. I'm like, this looked like so much fun to play. Like a stu like so, so interesting that I ended up going out and buying, the Sigmarite Mausoleum terrain just so I could play this like with with like um some crypts and stuff like sure. that. Sure. Sure. You know, because it looked it looked so good. So um and they've got uh like stats in here for a lot of the bad dudes in the um Curse City box, like the Kosargi Night Guard, uh the yep. Corpse Rats, uh the Bat Swarms, right? Uh, that kind of thing. So they they got some pretty good stats here. Yeah, it's almost like you buy the Cursed City box and then you do it so that you can play it in Warcry. I kind of did it. I uh, that was part of, that was one of the, my main motivators of getting Cursed City is because I'm like um, these models I can absolutely use in <laughs> Warcry. Yep. You know, yep. and and I I didn't know that they were going to come out with a Soul Blight Grave Lords like you know, free thing, but I'm like, Hey, that gives me zombies. That gives me skeletons. That gives me, you know, all sorts of different things. Um, what I would love to see them do is release a little, uh, cities of Sigmar update that has like the witch hunters from, or like the heroes from the cursed city that you can add to your for war cry. Yeah. That'd be great. War cry. Yeah. Yeah. So, or put them in a narrative campaign like this, right? Yeah, Something absolutely. So, yeah, but those, the narrative stuff is really, really good. Really, really yeah. good. Yeah, I think well thought out, like very, very well thought out. Yeah, I think they've finally found the game that can kind of come at D and D players. You know, I think yes, this obviously doesn't point. doesn't replace D and D for people who love that, but it is it is I right. think you know a complimentary experience that I think could tempt a lot of D and D players to to play this instead some nights. It's a very good bridge between a true role-playing game that you got minis in front of you, you know, but you're doing role-play, and the actual skirmish game. Right. You know, that's it's a nice stepping stone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then what you step to from there is match play, um, yeah. which also got a bunch of updates besides just the points. Um, specifically, we have six missions, um, and also a few tournament plans. So the missions, I wanted to talk about them real quick. Um, it's got maybe four of my favorite missions. So uh -huh. Nexus of Power, um, Trophy Kills, and Fleeting Glory. That's two objective missions and one of the sort of hunter missions where you kill their stuff and try to stop them killing your stuff. Yeah. Um, they're just like really well layered and put together they give you the twist and the deployment and the victory condition all at once and it's clear they've really thought about it yeah um and then scour i've heard people really complain about um i don't know if it's 
raise it's it's the victory condition in the base game where it's just red rover oh um, right right yeah and scour gives you a point for getting a kill so in the previous one if you kill something you just get the point for them not crossing the line right right um whereas this actually you essentially get two points right it's a model that doesn't cross the line and yep. you get a plus point for it so that can, I think, give the slower warbands a much better chance. And I think it makes it more interactive because even if it doesn't change the zero-sum part that much, it reminds you that you can win this game in two ways, um, right. which I think is really useful. And I think what's interesting about Scour versus um, the other one that's in the core game is one is the Defender, right? And one yep. is the Escaper. You know, and so it's kind of like, okay, we just got to run. Uh, the interesting thing about this scour in this one is you're both defenders and escapers. Yes. Right? You so both you can have both, to escape. You both yep. have to escape. and But you can also both try to take each other down. Yeah. You know, so you, uh, I think that that definitely levels the uh, the mission quite a bit. You yeah. know, because like otherwise you were just like, okay, well, I'm playing defense, but I only have four models and they have like, 17 skeletons <laughs> yeah you know? so... it, it would break my immersion for narrative a little bit uh mm -hmm. because i would feel like well sh if we both need to get to the other side shouldn't we just shake hands and then both just walk to the other side <laughs> um but You're for discounting match... the hate that people have for each other in these <laughs> yeah points, exactly right? right but for matched play i think it makes i think it makes a lot of sense yeah um the one complaint I wanted to make was for um, the two treasure missions. Mm -hmm. They've got a fake. There's one treasure mission in Red Harvest that I think is actually really well designed. But for the most part, they've got to figure something out with these treasure missions. Because if one team has a flyer and the other oh, team yeah. doesn't, yeah. if the team with the flyer goes first, the game's over immediately. So um, it's funny. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I ran a narrative event last year at GuildCon, right? Uh -huh. And I did it where they were collecting grave sand, right? Uh, okay. From from the net uh, from the netherquake, you know, that happened. Um, yep. And so they're collecting grave sand, but I said the sand's really heavy. So yeah, if that's you're a the flyer, yep. If you're a yep. flyer, you can't fly anymore, and all movement is halved. Yeah, right. I think so, that's the way you have to do it. So they're trying to like, and they're trying to halt. Like they had to grab it and then take it to like their edge of the board, right? Um, but like you could have a twelve-inch flyer come and grab it, and now they're only moving like six inches right. each turn. And they're or not like flying that. anymore. And they're not flying, great. right? Yeah. yeah. So um, that's that's how I changed it up because I was very cognizant of the yoink <laughs> aspect of it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, and, you know, that came down to, like, well, how did you roll in your activation? You know, did you get a bunch of singles and you got a flyer? Cool, you win the game. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, Which is... well, that doesn't seem very fun. Right, yeah. It's like, I mean, we did say it's fun when it all comes down to one dice roll, but you, you hope that it's not the first dice <laughs> not roll. Not the right? very first one, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Very yeah. good. So uh, one of the things that I do like about this, right, is um, they, they have those tournament scenarios, which I think are great because they do have the synchronous layouts, right? 
uh, and starting and stuff like that, which is so important. Because I, I remember talking about like competitive play and people were like, oh, I don't like Warcry because you know like you don't even have units start the same round. And I'm like, well, you don't have to do that in a tournament, you dork. You know, like, <laughs> like you can and, you can have it start and and Games Workshop basically showed us like this this is how a tournament should be laid out, right? Right, right. And I love here that there's also so they give you the regular tournament plan, but then they mm -hmm. also give you this uh, Fel Nyroth tournament for if you want to do not necessarily a narrative event, but a narrative tournament where yeah. it's narrative but you can win which I think is a great potential solution for, you know, if if you want to get your whole community together, but you've got people on kind of both sides of the, of the fence, yeah, try it out, right? I really like the idea. And then, you know, if you're going to have prizes, sure, have a prize for the winner, but then have, you know, prizes for the other cool stuff. And, um I think they've got plans for that too here, or they've got other stuff you can do. So yeah, I think in general, I just think showing a blueprint for how a narrative tournament can work where you can tell a story, but it still matters if you win or lose, I think is, is just really cool that they've done that. So one of the interesting things is they actually lay out a schedule here, right? So, yep. uh, you know, they say nine to 10 AM registration, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. is round one. 12 to one is lunch. One to three is round two. Three to five is round three. Do you think two hours per lunch. round is necessary? Oh man, I was just gonna ask you that. I was like, that seems a <laughs> yeah. long. You know? Yeah, like, I agree. I think two I, how, hours for the match? first round, and then 90 minutes for every round after that. That's what I would do. Why do you two think hours you for the first round? round because people are getting used to it. Right, okay. it's like you're bound to have somebody there where, like, hey, this is my second Warcry game, you know. Right. Um, right. But after the first round, I would say let's do ninety minutes for every. Ninety minutes. Round. If you're not done in ninety minutes, like you were what really you slow playing. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Especially if it's like a four. I mean, like, if it's a four round game, maybe. I mean, like, the rounds tend to go a lot faster near the end because there's usually less models on the thing, right? Right. So. Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. And especially with some of those scenarios, that if you're looking at them, you're like, this isn't going to take that long. You know, they're all for, I don't know if you noticed this, but all of the suggested ones are four battle rounds in the tournament. Yeah. So, which is good. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd say 90 minutes max. 90 minutes. Yeah, So. absolutely. Yeah, two hours. I was like, dang, dude, that is a long time. <laughs> you're going to have people just sitting around for a while, so. Yeah, and then the very last piece for match play is uh, hidden agendas. Yeah. Um, really, only I think something if you are going to a tournament, consider these. Um, but there's a whole bunch here to I think for sort of spiky, clever players to wanna try to do their min maxing around. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'll have a good sense of how they play out until I've actually played a tournament with them, but I'm, I'm looking forward to giving it a try. Yeah, it would be interesting. Um, because like you look at 40 K, you look at age of Sigmar and, um, you know, they've moved to a system where you get, you know, there's max amount of, uh, like base victory points you can get max amount of, you know, like secondaries, like that kind of thing. So they've even moved to like tertiary 
style objectives, right? So yep. um, I wonder if you will f start seeing some of these hid hidden agendas pop up where you can choose, you know, one per round that you want to do, uh, you know, like, um, so I wouldn't be surprised that like in the future you see <clears throat> a tournament pack come out, submit your list a week ahead, you know, um, here are the missions and here are five hidden agendas that you can use in each round or like you'll, you'll pick one each round. Once you use it, you can't use it again, right? That they did that a lot with age of Sigmar in 2.0. Uh, before they had the battle tactics uh, that they have now, which are kind of similar anyway. But I could see them doing this because then that could set up a differentiator in case, like, you tie on victory points or something like that. You know, like uh, your secondaries could, could come into play. Yeah. So, absolutely. and especially if you're using Swiss pairings, like on the Best, uh, Best Coast pairing app or something like that, and you've got, you know, uh, 50 people in an event and you only have like five rounds obviously not everybody's going to play everybody or the top people are going to play the top people so that is a points differentiator that could help separate and declare a true winner you know yeah in the eventual case of warcry getting two-day tournaments i think that they wouldn't really be necessary because you can get say yes, eight rounds in which yep. is enough to get separation but absolutely yep. in a one-day tournament it, it helps yep for sure uh, the last piece to this, uh, I, I like a lot. We kind of referred to it a little bit. It's the appendix. And the appendix has a lot of the free stuff that they have given there, like the Lumineth Realm Lords, the Soulblight Grave Lords, the uh, Thunderstrike Stormcast, Cruel Boys, etc. And, um, of course, the Bladeboard Fighters. And oh, love you, them. We oh, are, my gosh. I was so excited about this. We're getting towards the end on time here. But can yeah. But this is so important. We can't just completely gloss over it. What? We cannot. How about what's your favorite? Oh, or your gosh. two favorites? Let's um, let's narrow it down to two favorites each. You give one, I give one. Then you give one, I give one. All right, I'm gonna. Oh. Or I'll go first because I'm go I'm ready first. with my first favorite. Yes, 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 go with it's gotta be Skase Wild Hunt for me. Oh my gosh, I was just gonna say that. Okay, go <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Um. So. <laughs> You should add on then a little bit. So I'm less enthused with Scaith himself because, you know, uh -huh. he's got hooves. Therefore, he's got the mount keyword, of course. But <laughs> That's so true. It's so funny. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All four of the rest of them are incredible, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the one with the horn has a really sweet, uh, just, you know, that AoE attack buff. Um, yeah. But getting it on a little 80-point guy is really nice to be able to do. Um then all of them have movement five or all the elves have movement five and then there's the cat with movement eight which is great yeah. having access yeah. to a movement eight fighter for only 70 points yeah. is amazing right um yep. then you've got you know the the 70 point elf does really respectable damage right having four attacks for 70 points yes if you don't crit you don't really do much but you know that's the same um that's the same damage profile that demonettes have and anyone who's played demonettes can tell you that they get real work done with their attack profile yeah 
Um, and this guy actually costs five points less than a demonet for the same, I think it's the same stats exactly. He just costs five points less, which is crazy. I mean, I guess it's fair because you can't spam him, right? Because he's unique. Right, right. But still, I mean, getting a demonet for five less points is amazing. Um, and then, of course, they have an archer, which Sylvaneth didn't have archers before, and now they get two. They've got this guy and the uh, the one in Yolthari's Guardians. So yeah. just a just a great spread of, of cheap fighters for Sylvaneth to use. It's really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So the first one that I want to do is the counterpart of that in the um, Beast Grave uh, box set, right, which is the uh, Grashrax Despoilers. Oh, yep. Uh -huh. Oh my gosh, I really, really, really like this one. And it's really because of their ability. It's so good. So Grashrak, who is 205 points, right, which is a respectable point cost for a leader. Um, yep. He's he's not bad. I mean, he's got a ranged attack, uh, 3 to 7 inches, 2 attacks, but it does 3 to 6 damage if you can kind of get it off. So you're kind of fishing for crits because he only has a strength of, of 3 there. But his real thing um, is the Savage Bolt that he can do, right? Which is yep. on a quad. And again, we talked about, like, don't build around quads, right? It's kind of hard to do that, but still, but this is But he's so got good. access to the double, so you don't have to worry about, oh, if I don't roll quads, he doesn't That's do right. anything because he's That's got right. that double. Yes, he does. So the quad that he has, um, it's pick a visible enemy fighter within 12 inches of this fighter, which is pretty good, right? That's pretty right. good distance on this board. Allocate a number of damage points equal to the value of this ability to that fighter. So, all right, already taking some damage. This is a big deal. Then on, then roll a dice. On a 2+, that fighter cannot activate this battle round. Yeah, it's insane. That is amazing. And 12 amazing. inches covers so much of the board, right? If you get a quad, your opponent, I mean, they have to just know immediately... They have to put all of their wild dice into winning the priority, right? Yeah. Because they just they have to use their best fighter first. Because you'll just on a two up, just lock it down. I mean, we we literally spent time talking about an ogre tyrant, right? And think about him like planning to smash some dudes, and he just can't do anything that round. You yep. know, that's it's pretty. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. You do need a quad for it, though. But still, I still think it's pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. So the other one I want to talk about, it's not all gold through and through, but Zarbag's Gits <laughs> come out. I have right, they're staring at me on my shelf right now. Oh, fun. <laughs> so Zarbag's Gits come out to 980 points. That is a Warcry Warband yeah. for... $25, I think you can get Zarbag's Gits for. I mean, right. it's so cheap to get these guys. And it gives you... So I've I've actually played them. Uh, I actually played Zarbag's Gits against um, Corn Mortals. Okay. And it was the Garrick's Reavers plus a bunch of... Um, and then I've also played them against uh, Slanesh as well. And... Yes, they lost both times, but they put up a real fight. It was it was close. They've got a netter, right? Netters are always good. And Snurk's Sour Tongue is legitimately incredible, right? Yeah. So that's a that's a piece where if you 
if you decide to get competitive with your gloom spite gets you will want Zarbag's gets i think even yeah. the strongest gloom spite forces are going to be wanting to take a snurk sour tongue yep but if you just want to see if you like the vibe if you like painting gloom spite Zarbag's gets it's the cheapest it's the cheapest way to get a functional warband in the entire game is you just yeah. get this one thing and it's 980 points you have one incredible fighter you have a perfectly functional group of other fighters it's it's just a wonderful way to get into the game yeah uh my i 100 percent agree with you and in fact i got the zarbag's get um to use as proxies right for some yep. of the um for some of the glue spites gets but now that they're here which kind of raises the question do you think people are going to be proxying anymore or do you think they're just going to be taking those models what do you think uh when i when i played zarbag's gets i wished that my herder was a proxy for a regular herder yeah. same with the shooters because they cost more points for more hit points but the shooters yeah. don't get into fights anyway so i didn't want that you know what I mean? Like, yep, I would yep. love to free up the 200 points or so for about half of them where they right. are proxying for. But um, but obviously, Snurk, Fanatics don't exist. And then um, the, uh, the Squigs, having that extra couple yeah. hit points is actually kind of nice. I think that they have extra hit points over regular Squigs. I'm not so sure now. But either way, yeah, those are good. And then... Um, Zarbag, not the most competitive choice in Gits, but is still solid, and his ability right. is is solid, and it's yeah. only a double. So yeah, that that part's definitely playable. So I would say I would split them. Yeah. Proxies and um, non-proxies. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, my second choice is the uh, Hedraka's Mad Mob, with the oh, bone cool. splitters. Yep. Um, and and honestly, a lot of this is that I absolutely just love the models. Like they are yeah. so cool looking, I absolutely love them. Um, but they've got some pretty cool abilities here, right? Like the triple, which is an eye for weakness. You pick a visible enemy fighter within twelve inches of this fighter until the end of that battle round. Add three to the damage points allocated by each critical hit for attacks of that fighter, which isn't. I mean, that's not bad. Like they're already like a tooth dagger is is pretty good. He's got four attacks you know, yep. a one and five damage. So like he could be doing eight damage on each, you know, uh, critical hit that he has, which is pretty good. Um, yep. and then there, the quad, the bone crusher, pick a visible enemy fighter within 12 inches. of This fighter roll a number of dice equal to the value of this ability for each two plus allocate three damage points. To that fighter, if the enemy fighters within three inches of this fighter, allocate five damage points instead. Look, if you get a six on a quad, I mean, that could take down, like a rat ogre yep. or even even a glutton yeah. you know because like if they're within three inches and they and you get a roll six dice I mean that could be 30 points right there yep you know because it's a two up right so yeah um that's a that is a that is a nice ability right there yeah absolutely um you said to liking the models i'm pretty sure this is the one where he's got the tooth that's slotted in he's cut his skin so that he can use it as a pocket right isn't yeah isn't that these guys i'm pretty sure it is right i'm pretty sure that's what tooth dagger is is uh yes. he's the one with the with the skin pocket where he's cut his own skin to make a pocket <laughs> <laughs> only oh, gw right nobody know, else right? thinks exactly. of that stuff <laughs> exactly <laughs> 
so good. So, yeah, uh, the Bladeborn Fighters, I thought, to me, was, like, absolute genius to be able to bring in these underworlds. And, you know, our, of course, the, the great critique is, oh, they just want to sell those models. Well, yeah, they're the best models that I think GW has out there. Yeah, right, these Underworlds models, they're amazing. Yeah. Like, the Skaven ones are just absolutely gorgeous. And the, um, like, the the um, skeletons that they had, right? Uh, the Grave, what are the Grave Lord yep. ones? Um, anyway, oh, sorry, the Sepulchral Guard. Like, man, they are just so cool looking. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to use these. I'm excited to add them more into my thing. And I think, again... Same with the allies. It gives you list variety, which is really cool. And let the community come up with some really neat lists out there with some of these, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it eases up some of the pressure that reducing the number of places you can take allies, you know, like you, you, like you said, you just have so many more options now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that we have talked ourselves to death tonight. Yeah. Poor Jason. This is good though, man. I'm listening to this like, man, if I'd been there, we could have cut 20 minutes off of this podcast. (laughs) I would have kept those guys from talking so much. No, we, um, I, I, I feel like I could talk like more and more and more, right. About all of this stuff. I cannot wait to get into more factions and, and talk about more stuff. So I love the podcast. I love doing it with you. Um, and, uh, for those that uh, stuck with us to the end, uh, come check out our website, tabletopandbeyond.com. I, within the next month, am hoping to get some actual Warcry content up there. Dan and I have been talking about what kinds of things we want to offer you. Uh, we know that there's a lot of different Warcry information. Well, maybe not a lot, but there is other Warcry information out there. We want to try to provide some helpful, useful information in an easy, digestible way, and hopefully some other goodies as we as we go along. But... You know, yep. we want to make sure that people can get the max out of this game that they can. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you've got questions, if you want us to cover a uh, a faction sooner than later, why don't you hop on our Facebook page at ta- uh, Tabletop and Beyond. So it's facebook.com slash Tabletop and Beyond. Or on Twitter at uh, Tabletop and Beyond. And uh, just leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. If you want to hear you know, about, about something or you want us to cover a topic, Uh, Just let us know. We'd be happy to do that. So in the meantime, keep rolling those dice and keep your your war bands alive. So thank you so much for listening. All right. Have a good one.